This is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes. Doing something a little unusual this episode. Usually, of course, the podcast likes to focus on how to draft a particular archetype. Sometimes I do like a single overview episode for new formats. Last week, I did an overview episode for Shadows of Innistrad Remastered. This week, I'm doing another one. And I'm covering Shadows Over Innistrad Remastered because there's an arena open this weekend. So I'm only talking about it these two weeks. And so I don't have time to dedicate uh, entire episodes to archetypes. So I I have to structure it differently just to give a coherent breadth of coverage to the format. So that said, my topic this week is kind of the same as my topic last week. It's just everything I have to tell you about Shadows of Renistrad Remastered. However, it's a different format this week than it was last week. So there's a new companion sheet package, whatever, the Shadows of the Past package that includes older cards from the original Innistrad block. Last week, that was tribal support cards. This week, it's flashback cards. And that has a a small but far from insignificant effect on the format. As I'll get into, I think it kind of has the potential to reverse a lot of the trends from the previous week. So I wanted to take a look at specifically the impact and structure of the flashback edition, as well as kind of checking in on where the format was after a week of development and Uh, kind of predicting what that means moving forward and maybe I don't I haven't like taken notes for this but maybe I should do kind of a quick hits like big picture summary of each of the archetypes since you know this podcast is usually archetype focused and I'm not going to be able to dedicate a whole episode to each archetype so we'll see if I can do that on the fly the flashback sheet one thing is kind of just a little bit weird about the structure is that there are kind of like gold flashback cards, cards that cost one color and flashback for a different color. There's a set of them at common and a set of them at uncommon. And I say a set instead of a cycle because there are common flashback cards for all of the allied color pairs except red-green and uncommons for all of the enemy color pairs. So specifically red-green doesn't have support here. I think that that's because the card that goes in that space is Ancient Grudge, which wouldn't be relevant in this limited format anyway. And so it's just not in. And so little, you know, very, very small hit to the incentive to be red-green relative to the other colors in that missing flashback card, I guess. Another notable thing about the sheet, Sever the Bloodline, which was originally rare, that's three and a black, Exile, target creature, and all creatures with the same name. And then it flashes back for 5 BB. Uh, it's sorcery. That was an extremely strong rare in Innistrad, like one of the best. And it's just a super powerful card, especially in this week where Lingering Souls, Spider Spawning, and Rise from the Tides are all really, really powerful cards that make a lot of creatures with the same name. Sever the Bloodline is a clean answer to all of that. 
and also just a great hard removal spell that flashes back into another hard removal spell. Just a fantastic control card. I talked last week about how I didn't like black, and specifically that black's removal wasn't very good. Sever the Bloodline is just a really exceptional removal spell, such that if you can get that, it really changes my assessment of what's going on with black. Also, like the fact that, you know, I don't want to dump it in the graveyard and that I want to draw it and cast the front side. But if you are playing some self-mill stuff and you mill it, you still get a seven mana sever the bloodline in your graveyard, which is a really good thing to have. So I think that card single-handedly adds a lot of power to black. Another notable card is travel preparations. I say notable because this is a card that I thought that I saw clearly indicated that it would be uncommon, and it is not. It is common, as it was in original Innistrad. It has existed in other master sets or something at Uncommon, but it's back to common now. This is a card that was a kind of defining card of original Innistrad Limited. Green-White was one of the most powerful archetypes, even if it doesn't kind of have the same mimetic history as Spider-Spawning. Um, it was kind of the like baseline strong deck uh, of the format, and Travel Preparation was responsible for a lot of that power level. That said, I have been underwhelmed with Travel Preparations in this format. Um, I drafted it pretty aggressively yesterday, and those decks underperformed, the card underperformed, the early stats one day in for the card are also not impressive, and... I think it makes sense. I think that the Death Touch Dryad at common makes loading up single big creatures a lot worse. And then also uh, Silent Departure and Drag Under are both really, really strong blue bounce spells that can reset your investment encounters in uh, your creatures. And it just kind of kept lining up awkwardly for me. So I'm not saying Travel Preparations is a bad card, but I think it's not like card that you should take early and um should like put you in green white aggro um i think it's you know like a solid addition rather than like a bomb common or something meanwhile uh silent departure has been consistently great for me and its early stats on 17 lands have it as the highest win rate card in traditional draft second highest in premier draft the top one and two and both are uh, Silent Departure and Thraben Inspector. And while the sample sizes for that are very small, it's worth noting that two like unrelated data sets both have Silent Departure uh, at the top of the format early on. So it seems pretty clear that Silent Departure is great, which... You know, I, I remembered it being really good in Innistrad, uh, drafted it highly expecting... Like, it's... It's a card that plays a lot better than it reads. Like sorcery speed bounce usually isn't very good. And then you have to just take on faith that somehow having flashback is going to like make it good, which is like always been a little hard for me to wrap my head around, but it always plays out that way. And yeah, it, it has it has not disappointed, unlike travel preparation for me specifically. That's kind of the like quick hits on what's going on there. I guess also Faithless Looting is common in the flashback sheet. Uh, Faithless Looting is a card that I thought was like basically unplayable in Strixhaven Limited when it appeared in that set at Rare, but that's because 
Um, in Strixhaven, it was really easy to use all of your mana going long. There were like a lot of expensive spells, so there was never really anything you wanted to discard. Whereas in this format, there are madness cards and flashback cards, and decks don't always have the ability to spend all of their mana in the late game, and there aren't campuses that are giving you natural late game card selection. So uh, it's a totally different situation for Faithless Looting. Faithless Looting is pretty strong here and specifically is like a really important, relevant addition to Red Black, which previously was a little low on Madness Outlets and getting a pretty powerful uh, Madness Enabler for a single mana to cast your mad Madness cards is big game, helps the like aggressive or Madness-oriented Vampire Ducks make up for some of the tribal support they're losing from the previous week. So I think that they're still going to be in a pretty good space. Speaking of positioning from the previous week, at the time of recording the episode last week, Blue Green was kind of the early front runner. That did not hold through the rest of the format. Uh, Blue Green actually sunk toward the bottom. And by the end of the first week, in Premier Draft, Blue-White, Red-Black, and Green-White were kind of at the top. In Traditional Draft, the colors seemed a little bit more balanced, with Blue-Black being notably worse than the other colors, as it was in Premier Draft. And then the other Sultai combinations, so Black-Green and uh, Blue-Green, as well as is it uh, Blue-Red, were uh, appreciably lower in uh, traditional draft. Those were also the worst in Premier Draft. So the Sultai combinations and Is It were uh, the weakest color pairs at the end of the first week. Now, does that mean that they'll be the weakest now? I have reason to doubt. Like this flashback sheet adds sorceries, the instants and sorceries that care about your graveyard blue and red care about like instants and sorceries and green and black care about graveyard and like having more instants and sorceries to enable delirium a little bit more easily and so just kind of structurally the addition of a flashback sheet without getting into the details of what the cards are seems like it adds the most strength to the decks that had performed the worst, which is exciting because it means that we have what looks like an even more balanced format than we had previously. And in particular, blue-black had been lagging way behind, but uh, Forbidden Alchemy and Sever the Bloodline are pretty big additions there. They give you some real direction in terms of like, okay, I'm supposed to be a Control deck that uses spells and uses the graveyard, Rise from the Tides starts to be like a really good fit if you have Forbidden Alchemy, and maybe you end up playing uh, blue-black with another color, with like red or green, or even white, taking advantage of uh, like Lingering Souls and Unburial Rites. You can go a little heavier on the like graveyard flashback direction in Esper. So I think that this... New sheet slows the format down a little bit and adds power to the decks that had been performing worst. So I'm pretty excited about uh, where it leaves this format, despite the fact that through the first week, 
I never had a losing record in a draft. And on the first day of the flashback sheet, I um, had losing records in two drafts in a row. And I would say that that was learning my lesson about prioritizing travel prep and kind of getting pushed back into uh, doing what's more natural for me and um, treating the format a little bit more as uh, a like grindy value format rather than like an aggro format, which I'm much more comfortable in and I'm happy that it played out that way. And I will note that while in the first week, the decks that seemed to perform the best among the public uh, were these tribal aggro decks, uh, white, black, red, black, green, white, that sounds to me like it's spirits, vampires, and humans. The decks that I personally did best with were more like grindy, green-based value decks that had like delirium package and cared a lot about card advantage through clues and... Um, like had a low curve of cards that played well in the late game because uh, Narola Dryad and Obsessive Skinner make that possible. And so I guess I intend to continue to approach the format as one where I'm expecting to usually play long games, uh, but of course where I want cheap cards that enable that. I know players are going to ask about spider spawning specifically. This is a card as I mentioned earlier, is a pretty famous card, a lot of hype around it in original Innistrad. It's been reprinted in some other formats, Double Masters, I think, Double Masters 2, I guess, where it's kind of like underperformed somewhat. So th there's some question about like, is this going to be great the way that it's remembered in original Innistrad? Was it that good in original Innistrad? Or was it just a meme that like got hyped up a lot? Does the fact that it hasn't been as good in recent years mean that it won't be good here? The early stats have spider spawning as uh, the best performing uncommon that uh, there are stats for that is currently in the format, which is to say it's below Drog Skull Captain, which rotated out. And this first day into stats, like Sever the Bloodline and Lingering Souls, both didn't have enough games played to have stats. But the point is, its stats are very, very good. And I think green has good support for enabling the graveyard and like black has some extra support, like uh, the crow, the two one flyer that mills two when it enters and mills two when it dies, I think is not an embarrassing card to play in a spider spawning deck. Basically, I think the cards around the spider spawning are good and synergistic and it itself is powerful. And I think that it will continue to do well. I think that like some of the deepest nonsense end of the play pattern of the spider spawning decks in original Innistrad, where you would start like looping things with like Memories Journey and Runic Repetition for people who are familiar with that format, obviously don't exist in this format, but the fair spider spawning where you just, you know, play a long game, maybe with some self-mill, get a bunch of creatures in your deck and in your graveyard and Flashback spider spawning is what it's intended to do here, and it does that well, and spiders are really good to make a million of. I think that it does, you know, inform the rest of your deck, but that it's a good deck to be drafted. So I guess with all of that said, let's do the archetype quick, quick hits. Blue-white uh, was spirit aggro. You're going to lose some of the spirit support for that. 
but Feeling of Dread and Silent Departure are both really strong tempo spells. So I think that you will still be like an evasive, aggressive aggro tempo deck, but you're going to be less dedicated to spirits. And I suspect that you're going to end up with like more, you know, solid humans that are just like part of your aggro plan and stuff. White black still doesn't have much in the way of meaningful synergy, but it does have lingering souls, which is a fantastic card. You're kind of just like dudes and removal and no real synergy or game plan, but you have both lingering souls and unburial rights, which is interesting because I had been thinking it was one cycle of uncommon gold cards for all of the enemy color pairs. So I guess that means that white black has more there, but again, I, I don't think that any of that leads to black white having like a particularly synergistic plan, just more gold cards, I guess. White, red also, it gets Rally the Peasants, which is a strong, aggressive card, but it doesn't have particularly great enablers for going wide. Like, there aren't really cards that give you two bodies outside of, like, the exile ability on Nearheath Chaplain. There are some, you know, you get your Dauntless Cathars that give you, that are resilient at giving you a creature, um, but you're, you know, basically like going wide in the fairway where you just cast one creature at a time. Rally the Peasants is still, you know, represents a lot of damage. So it doesn't necessarily need go wide token support. But if you've played it in formats with go wide token support, it's not going to be that good. Green white is still going to be basically human aggro. There are plenty of commons and uncommons that like care a bit about that. And now you have travel prep to, uh, you know, reinforce the curve out aggro. Uh, travel prep means that you um, generally pushes toward uh, prioritizing a lower curve so that you have things in play early to use your travel prep on and also, of course, makes any keywords better. I've now even seen a deck where I thought Dawn Griff made sense thanks in large part to having three travel preps and the advantage of putting plus one, plus one counters on flying creatures. Blue-black was zombies and was bad. Now I think it's more just like spell-based control and better. Blue-red is like spell-based aggro, but doesn't have to be all that aggro. Blue-green is still clues. I still like what it's up to. Black-red is Vampires and Madness, and I think Faithless Looting is a big addition. Makes it a little bit more Madness, a little bit less Vampire in terms of what your focus is. So, like, Giss's Bidding is a much better fit now, whereas, like, with the old sheet, like, I had a red-black Madness deck that was focused on Vampires enough that I didn't want Bidding because I had, like, the Vampire uh, plus 2 plus 0 and... Um, first strike thing and so like non-vampires were awkward there now i think non-vampires like it doesn't matter so much that your creatures are vampires specifically though there are some times when it does specifically with uh indulgent aristocrat i think that's the name of the one one lifelink that you can spend two mana and sack a creature to pump all your vampires red green is still werewolves uh red green i think took a really big hit just in that the flashback sheet really doesn't benefit it at all like 
the red and green flashback cards are not good in red-green. There is no red-green flashback card. Um, you lose some amount of wolf support and don't really get anything back for it. Uh, I think red-green is one of the worst positioned decks. Um, and it hadn't even been at the top when it had its tribal support. So red-green is, I guess, the archetype that I'm least excited by. And green-black is Graveyard Delirium. Um, obviously benefits a ton from spider spawning. Grapple of the Past and Vessel of Nascency get even better than they had been uh, because flashback rewards self-mill and you're still very much about Delirium and uh, your deck is better. So prioritizing the stuff that like enables that deck and puts you in that deck and works well in that deck makes a little bit more sense. So that's my quick hits on the archetypes as well as overall strength of archetypes, which as best I know is just pretty balanced. I guess red green I'm skeptical of. A couple of the other ones I don't love, like the enemy colored white pairs. But across the board, you know, like I said, I think the archetypes that had been performing worst gain the most. Format had been very aggressive, but I've been playing it more controlling. It's going to move more the way that I had been playing it. I don't know that the fact that I'd been succeeding while playing it in a more controlling way is particularly strong evidence of anything, since that's kind of just how I play limited in general. So grain of salt there. And that's what I got. So now I will be fielding really just any questions on the format or questions about anything that I said or might not have touched on or whatever. I want to thank my newest patron, Zigia, at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. Thanks for the support. And as always, if anyone else is interested in supporting me or the program, getting some benefits, checking out what kinds of um, offerings we have and costs and all that, check out patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes for all the details. So with that said, with flashback being two colors, splashing goes up now. Yeah, um, especially because these are like gold cards that don't actually require the second color to get some value. And especially with a card like Forbidden Alchemy, where you can't even use the graveyard side of it until the very late game. You know, you can play Forbidden Alchemy as like a, you know, four mana impulse kind of, or three mana impulse uh, that also fills the graveyard in, you know, some not black blue deck with a few ways to get black mana and it just like works and you don't need your splash color early and it even helps find your splash color in that con in that uh, specific instance and so like some of the cards that are close to good enough by themselves and then get better when you can cast the back and then the fact that you're playing those means that you're a little bit more likely to want the off-color mana than when you have the off-color mana in your deck Maybe you're convinced, maybe you find, you know, some strong card in that color that you end up adding additionally. So certainly moves you towards splashing more now. So, yeah, I definitely think that you'll see more two in a splash, more two in a super light, like half splash, more, you know, started that way, ended up with a full splash, started that way, ended up with like two splashes. We've lost Traveler's Amulet, um, so there's less fixing, uh, which means that um, I think Terrarian is even better now than it was since it's a 
reasonable way to cover some of these light splashes while also supporting like the delirium stuff that I think is pretty good. To add to that, do lands go up in pick order? Yeah, again, you know, any of the dual lands that you can pick up that randomly help you cover your super light splash on the flashback, or, you know, even lands that you can pick up that might hypothetically let you splash flashback cards that you don't have yet but are thinking about are reasonable to grab. So definitely some more incentives there to be ready for splashes. I have personally already had pretty good experiences with the common 1-4 Scarecrow that sacks to find two lands. Uh, I've liked it just like as a delirium enabler that kind of fixes some colors, let me lets me do some splashing. That's obviously even better now that uh, that might be finding off-color lands as well as getting you up to the like large mana requirements needed to hit some of the expensive flashback stuff. So yeah, all, all of that stuff that makes it easy to splash gets a little bit better. Do you feel the format is more controlling now that the gold creatures have been replaced by graveyard spells? Yes, of course. I mean, we, we literally lost aggro tribal cards and replaced them with late game value cards. The format more or less definitionally has to be slower. I mean, I guess the counter argument insofar as it exists is travel prep, feeling of dread and silent departure are all pretty reasonable tempo spells and faithless looting plays best in red, black madness, which is an aggressive deck. So the commons do kind of end up working out pretty well for aggro but I don't think that's enough to offset like how good and how much value the like uncommon and rare flashback cards offer going long, as well as the fact that like the cards that are leaving were all aggressive creatures, basically. Last week, I felt like you got punished for not finding your open lane. Do you think it's easier to stay open this week? I definitely think that the format is still synergistic and you still want to find an open lane it's i guess kind of easier to stay open in that like splashing is better and the games go longer so it's easier to pivot into new colors while keeping some of your old tools but you know in both cases like you do you know it's a format where there are decks that do very different things from each other but are similarly strong and so um, because the decks are so, like have so little strategic overlap, it can be hard to move from one deck to another. And like even with, you know, like this, I guess, kind of shows most uniquely in uh, like the last format where it was a bunch of tribal decks, where if you had been drafting green, white humans and green's not open, but blue is, you're supposed to pivot from white aggro to white aggro. You move from green-white humans to blue-white spirits. But now you have the wrong white creatures. And so it's like harder to pivot than it would be if your colors weren't connected to tribes that mean that your cards might not like transition as smoothly. To the extent that like the tribes are less relevant, the cards transition a little bit more smoothly, right? Like the thing that I was talking about, about how blue-white is now just more of a generic tempo deck, since instead of like the spirit payoffs, you have Feeling of Dread and Silent Departure. So those white aggressive humans that you were taking that then don't fit with your spirit support now fit fine with your Feeling of Dreads. 
Um, so it gets a little bit easier to pivot in that way. And then also the the other stuff where the format's slower and splashing is easier and stuff like that. So I do think, you know, you I think finding an open lane is important in formats that are like relatively balanced. And there are a lot of different things that you can do, but it is a little bit easier to pivot than it was. Are there any cards you look for or hope to avoid in sealed as opposed to draft? I have not played the sealed format and haven't really prioritized understanding it. I understand that day one of the arena open is sealed, but I basically prefer to focus my preparation for arena opens on day two because you get uh, multiple chances at sealed and only one chance at uh, the draft. Well, you know, two chances, but you need to succeed in your first try. And so I feel like there's more value to preparing for that. So I am not prepared to answer anything really about sealed. Cards like Indulgent Aristocrat, probably way worse in sealed than draft. Yeah, I mean, you'll be able to tell based on your sealed pool whether you have enough support for that kind of stuff. When going over 40 cards, how do you determine what is the right number? Usually when I'm going over 40, it's because, well, I mean, always if I'm going over 40, it's because I suspect that one way or another, I'm going to have a way to like see every card in my deck in the course of a game. Often that is because I'm milling myself a lot and I'm going to like have the ability to, if I choose to, mill my entire deck. And then I have more options, more power if I can mill more cards. Like, for example, if you have Crawling Sensation, that doesn't mean that you'll actually lose all of your games to decking yourself, but it does mean that if you play a long game, you'll have to stop using your Crawling Sensation at some point, and it would be a lot stronger if you didn't stop using it and got to keep milling new stuff and making more insects. So you play more than 40 cards to make some of the cards that you have in your deck stronger. And to like, you know, let you play longer games when you have a bunch of self mill. So how much bigger do you go? Well, you want to be sure that you're not going big enough that you won't be able to see every card in your deck, because the only reason you should ever add cards is if you're going to see every card. And once you've added enough that that's unrealistic, you've gone too far. It's often not easy to know exactly how many cards you think you'll realistically be able to see in a game. So usually my baseline is just play all of the cards that are not appreciably worse than the other cards that I have, but don't play a card that I know that I would consistently be unhappy to draw. Do you like the black burn slash drain spells in red black? So that's Alms of the Vein and Bump in the Night. They are certainly not my play style. I think that it's possible to be aggressive enough and have enough of that stuff that Bump in the Night uh, is playable. Alms of the Vein, I think, is better than Bump in the Night. I think Alms is pretty reasonable if you have a lot of things that ask you to discard and you're short on Madness cards. Like discarding an Alms of the Vein to Tormenting Voice rather than discarding a land and getting to drain your opponent for three is quite a bit better. But I, I wouldn't play Alms unless I'm like sure that I'm you know basically always going to be able to discard it when I draw it. And bump in the night is reasonably comparable to like lava axe where lava axe is five mana for uh five damage this you need six mana all at once to get the second three damage it's seven total mana for six damage 
but the fact and so like seven mana for six damage is a worse rate than five mana for five damage but the fact that you get your first three damage for only one mana is um you know gives it a whole extra mode that's pretty good the total output of the card is potentially worth a card but it you know very much only does one thing you can't ever defend yourself with it except by putting your opponent in a spot where like they can't afford to attack you because they have to defend themselves but it's very one-dimensional you have to be sure that you know your opponent's life total is what the game is about and it's it's harder to be sure of that when one of the cards that you've drawn is just like a burn spell and not like a creature that's threatening them so i don't know i i personally am unlikely to use bump in the night but it would not surprise me to learn that there was someone who had a way that they were drafting red black where bump in the night was good and they did well spider spawning and not of the bone want you to have high creature counts while delirium wants you to have a spread of types how do you balance that you need to figure out which you are or have a lot of self mill if you have like a lot of self mill most of the self mill is cards that are not creatures and then you are like self mill makes it pretty easy to get delirium because you use a card that's like you know an instant or an enchantment to mill some cards and you're very very likely to hit a creature or a land and then you just need anything else and you don't have to go too far out of your way there to do that I would still want to play like, you know, my Terrarians that I'm going to be, if I draw it, it's like a free extra card in the graveyard that's an extra type. If I mill it, it kind of took the space of milling something else that could have been a creature, but also it contributed to Delirium uh, at only the cost of being a card that I milled instead of milling something else. So I guess the answer is, you know, play a few of the other types to get your Delirium, but make sure that you're going hardest on creatures. It, of course, really depends on your quantity of payoffs for creature density as compared to your quantity and quality of payoffs for Delirium, uh, as far as like where the exact lines end up being. My problem is that discarding stuff leads me to rarely have enough lands in play to flashback bump. Yeah, that's why you need to combine your bumps with your alms so that you're discarding alms instead of discarding lands. But also, yes, if you are playing a red-black deck that is structured such that you are planning to like get rid of your extra lands, then you probably do not want to play bump. Which of the flashback cards is my favorite? I like spider spawning because of the interesting deck building questions it raises like Severed the Bloodline because of being a good control card. And I like Silent Departure because of being a strong common. I guess I also like Faithless Looting because of deck building and gameplay questions about when to cast it. And like, you know, figuring out like prioritizing madness with it and stuff. I think I like a lot of the flashback cards and I don't know specifically which one's my favorite is there any general advice you have for people going back to a set that has a lower power level feel i assume that you're saying that this set feels lower power to you than more recent sets presumably because power creep is a thing and this set uses older cards 
More specifically, I think to me, the thing that's striking is less that the cards are weaker and more that the format gives you a little bit more time. And I think that my advice on formats that give you a little bit more time, I guess this also kind of applies to like Dominaria Remastered, where that format is notable for just giving you a ton of time because the cards are really weak relative to new cards. Um, and by weak, I mean bad at attacking. I guess, you know, uh, the big adjustment there is you can afford to be a little bit more um, discerning in your use of tricks and removal. And the format ends up being a little bit more about how you use your cards rather than like whether you have a thing on time to line up with your opponent's thing and like if that thing is a removal spell you just kind of have to cast it because you can't let your opponent's creature hit you or like is often the dynamic in Phyrexia for example. So I guess my answer is in general the lower power level feel if I'm correct in taking your meaning to be less aggressive, gives you a little bit of breathing room, less snowball-y. The big adjustment is, you know, you can use your life total as a resource a little bit more, and you can be a little bit more discerning in how you use your spells. And it looks like that covers it. So thanks, as always, everyone, for tuning in and for the questions. And good luck in the arena open. And next week, I think I'll be back to... Phyrexia again. I don't think we're quite going to be at the point where we're ready to talk about March the Machine, but if for some reason we are, then I guess I will. But I, I suspect that there's another week, maybe two weeks of Phyrexia before we get there. But I will be, you know, looking to start covering March the Machine as soon as we have enough cards that it makes sense to talk about that limited format. So Thanks for listening. Good luck to those who are playing in the open, and I'll be back next week. Bye, everyone. Prepare for light speed.